Hello and welcome to the Goal 4 podcast, a show all about education and inclusion. I'm Richard Ingram. Having access to quality and reliable data about learners with disabilities is a crucial component of inclusive education systems. Put simply, if you don't know who's out there and what difficulties they have, you won't be able to support them. In the past, disability data has been label focused. To investigate the diverse needs of students has traditionally meant wading into the swamps of medical terminology and stigmatizing labels. This is not only damaging for those involved due to the way it can lead to prejudice and othering, it can be downright unhelpful. Try telling an overburdened teacher about a child's amblyopia or macular degeneration. It's far more helpful to say that they have difficulty seeing or reading text. This helps the teacher and it helps the child. The child functioning model of data collection set up by UNICEF and the Washington Group on Disability Statistics takes such an approach. Finalized in 2016, the CFM, as it's known, assesses difficulties in functional areas such as vision, hearing, mobility, communication, comprehension, behavior, and learning. Beaming in to tell me more from UNICEF's headquarters in New York is Claudia Kappa, Senior Advisor for Statistics and Monitoring in the Data and Analytics section of UNICEF. As the focal point for data collection, data analysis, methodological work on early childhood development, child disability and child protection from violence, exploitation and abuse, Claudia is perfectly placed to answer my questions on the collection and the importance of disability data. Claudia Kappa, welcome to Goal 4. Thank you so much, Richard. It's great to have you. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, firstly, you've said that the inclusion of children with disabilities starts with data. Why is this? UNICEF estimates that 240 million children have some form of disability. Unfortunately, many of these children continue to be left behind. The lack of good quality data on children with disabilities, but also the lack of data on the barriers that these children face, hinder the development of policy and programs that could help and give these children the specific support they need. When children with disability are absent from official statistics, they are politically and socially invisible. They remain marginalized and exposed to violations of their human rights. And that's why inclusion of children with disability starts with data. And this links very closely to a new report that's been published by UNICEF called The State of the World's Children 2023. Well, it was launched uh, recently. Can you tell me a bit more about this report? What are some of its key findings? What, what's the context? The State of the World Children is UNICEF's main publication. It examines key issues affecting children. And over the past few years, the topics have ranged from children with disabilities, conflict and war, child labor, early childhood development, and much more making this publication the most comprehensive analysis of global trends and issues that impact children. Now, for the first time in 2023, the State of the World Children, which was launched in April of, of this year, included a statistical table in its annex with data on children with disabilities. There is a specific table, table 16, that presents a selection of indicators on child well-being across several domains, including exploitation and violence, early childhood development, access to education, 
nutrition, social protection. And for each one of these key indicators, many of which are actually indicators that are part of the sustainable development goals, data are presented for children with disabilities and children without disabilities. And this is indeed the first time we are able to show disparities across a number of priority indicators for children. So currently in this statistical table, there are data for 43 countries spanning many regions of the world. And this has been made possible thanks to the release in 2016 of the child functioning module. That is an instrument that countries can use to identify children with functional difficulties. And then when this module is used in connection with other questions related to child well-being, it's then possible to disaggregate well-being outcomes for children with disabilities and children without. And this is key for understanding disparities. So that's great that you've you've said about the child functioning model. Perhaps we could talk a little bit about that because um, this is a really important topic in this area. So the, the report is based on data collected through the child functioning model or the CFM developed by UNICEF and the Washington Group on Disability Statistics. You've briefly mentioned it, but could you go into a bit more detail about what the CFM is and why it's important to collect data in this way? Let me start by sharing very quickly an overview of the data landscape on persons with disabilities, because contrary to a widely held belief, data on persons with disabilities have been collected for centuries. So actually we found data sources which included questions specifically aimed at identifying persons with disability that date back to the 19th centuries. So most countries in the world have collected data on persons with disabilities for many, many years. But the problem is the quality and the relevance of such data, which has varied significantly. So the majority of data collection efforts that have been conducted over the years rely on stigmatizing terminology and definitions that were very narrow. And as a result of these choices, available estimates often fail to provide an accurate account of number of persons with disabilities, including children, but also continue to stigmatize persons with disability through the use of language in these data collection efforts. So to address the data gap and to promote uh, the use of an instrument that will be, first of all, respectful of children with disabilities, but also able to provide quality data, UNICEF and the Washington Group on Disability Statistics released the child functioning module back in 2016. Now, these modules cover children between the ages of two and the ages of 17 and focus on the difficulties that these children might have in various domain of functioning. So the first thing that is important with respect to this module is that it avoids stigmatizing and offensive language, and it conforms to the biosocial model of disability. Essentially, we are focusing on the presence and the extent of functional difficulties rather than on body structure and conditions. And why is this important? Well, let's take the example of a mobility limitation. Now, a mobility limitation in children can be the result of cerebral palsy, loss of limbs, paralysis, injuries. 
Now, if we base these ability statistics on questions that ask about a condition or a diagnosis, it's problematic. Why? Because these questions are addressed to parents or caregivers. And parents or caregivers might not know their child diagnosis, particularly if this involves mental and psychosocial conditions. Because knowledge about diagnosis, for example, is correlated with education, socioeconomic status, access to services, all of which may bias data collection. At the same time, questions that focus on basic actions, like those that are captured by the child functioning module, serve as a better basis for identifying children with disabilities, because from the point of view of social participation and equalization of opportunities, what really matters is the functional status and how that impacts a child's life. So children with the same conditions of impairments, for example, might have very different degree of difficulties. A child, for instance, who has difficulty seeing but has access to glasses might be able to participate in school. But the same child with difficulty seeing because of myopia, for example, without access to those classes will not be able, for example, to attend school or learn from school. So both from the feasibility standpoint, as well as from the relevance standpoint, focusing on functional difficulties is more useful to understand the lived experience of children with disabilities. It's kind of um, a double gain then, really. You, you're, you're gathering data that's actually more useful in terms of education. It's more useful for teachers, for parents, for caregivers, because it's it, it looks at the functions of a child rather than, uh, as you said, a stigmatizing label. And some of these labels might not even be understood by the people reading them, right? But it's also a way to combat negative attitudes in society. So even the act of collecting that data in this way, you can help sensitize communities and, and families to the real issues that are faced by children with disabilities. You said that questions are aimed at um, parents and caregivers. What do these questions look like? Do they come in a survey? Are they, are they online? Are they offline? How does it work? The questions can be used on a paper-based data collection, as well as on a tablet-based data collection, normally with support from an interviewer. And questions are very simple. Uh, mothers or primary caregivers are asked whether the child has difficulty in performing certain activities, like, for example, seeing or walking, learning new things, concentrating on an activity that the child enjoys doing. But also, we have questions on uh, difficulty controlling the behavior, uh, difficulty with making friends, difficulty with remembering things. And lastly, we ask the mother to report how often the child seems to be very anxious or very sad and depressed. So they are simple questions on things that mothers are able to observe because they are based on daily activities and interactions. With that in mind, uh, what are the current plans to strengthen the availability of data on children with disabilities in school settings? First of all, we are testing the use of the child functioning module with teachers because we know that teachers can provide valuable information on the child ability to perform in school settings. 
There are different data collection methods that have school settings at the center, including education management information system, which are routine way through which countries collect information from schools. And this information in these data are very useful for the purpose of understanding the outreach of the uh, education services. Now, using the child functioning module in IMIS will allow for collecting this routine information, provided that this information is included at the child level. So what we are doing right now is to see to which extent teachers can provide valid and reliable information using the child functioning module as part of the data collection in IMIS. And the second thing that we are doing, which is very important, is we are do developing a new data collection module on inclusive education, which aims at understanding the barriers that might exist to accessing education. And for children who are already accessing education, the barriers that might exist at the level of the curricula, or the level of teachers' attitudes, or the level of the school buildings and premises that might affect the full participation of children with disability in school settings. And we believe that by combining the child functioning module together with the inclusive education module, we are really able to understand the lived experience of children with disabilities in the context of school and educational settings. Great, and just to go back to the point about, that first point you made about teachers providing the data and sharing on an MS. What needs to happen to help teachers do this? I presume they need some training in this area? Indeed, we test the use of the module with training and without training and ask the teachers to provide information. And we realize that training actually increased the quality of the information provided by teachers because through teaching them what the child functioning module is, it's another way of helping teachers pay attention to certain aspects of functioning that they might not necessarily or immediately be inclined in observing. So the training is another way of strengthening the teacher's capacity to look for difficulties in functioning. And we realize that, for example, compared to parents, once we train the teachers on the child functioning module and then we administer the child functioning module to these teachers, they are able to report higher level than parents when it comes to difficulties in learning, which is exactly what teachers are expected to be able to detect. Difficulty when it comes to cognition, ability of the child to focus attention, ability of the child to memorize and retain information. So teachers can provide valuable information uh, on the child functional level when they receive appropriate training and the training becomes even more appealing uh, for, for teachers because of course, filling a questionnaire to provide data is not the first instinct or desire of a teacher. But if it's a company with training, the teachers see the usefulness of providing this information because it's a way of better, understand the of better understanding the child and the child needs and tailor the, the educational experience to respond to those needs. Yeah, and I suppose it's also a way of helping to sensitise teachers to the diverse needs of all the learners in their classrooms, right? Uh, it goes back to that, that, what we spoke about, stigma and attitudes as well. Are there any plans to, to link teachers and 
parents and caregivers who who were both expected to supply this data that you know of? Absolutely. This will be the ultimate goal, this level of triangulation between parents and teachers and others, for example, and this harmonization of, of data. Because when we look at a child, the parents may, may look at certain aspects of the child, the teachers may look at other aspects of the child. And through this type of data collection and sharing of experience, hopefully this will provide better understanding to both teachers and parents about the child, the child's experiences. You say that's the ultimate goal, that that triangulation and bringing in the parents and the caregivers and the teachers together. Whose responsibility is that? Does that lie with school leaders or parent-teacher groups or a, a bit of a mixture of the two? I think with, with all of them, uh, that's a, a joint responsibilities. Uh, so this coming together, of course, the school is the centre, so the school personnel is and the school, the school principal, et cetera, as well as the parent-teacher association, they are all in this together. So it's their joint responsibility to facilitate this understanding of the student's population. No, fantastic. And that brings me to my, my final question on this, which I think is very related. I wanted to know your thoughts about the future of data and inclusive education. Let me start by mentioning the fact that while the implementation of the child functioning module has resulted in a substantial increase in quality data on children with disabilities, some challenges remain. For one, the child functioning module has not been universally adopted. Currently, we have a little over 50 low and middle income countries that have used the child functioning module, which means that the majority of the world countries are still using narrow and outdated definitions and questionnaires to count children with disabilities and to gather information about their well-being. But even when countries are using the child functioning module for one data source, for example, for a survey, multiple definitions and tools are often used across other data sources within the same countries, leading very often to confounding estimates. Now, we need to continue to promote harmonization of data and production of comparable statistics, because from the policymaking standpoint, it may be confusing to have one number coming from a survey and another number, for example, coming from another source. So, and this is where I want to um, share some reflection on the importance of partnerships, because data production and data use is a joint responsibility. We should continue to bridge and bring together data producers and data users. And sometimes these roles are actually fluid. Um, we no longer should think about data production to be the sole responsibility of national statistical offices, for example. Why? Because bringing in organizations of persons with disabilities is very critical to uh, produce high quality data. So partnerships can play a key role in harmonizing methods and data sources globally and uh, at the country level. And the second point I wanted to flag is partnerships are also important for strengthening data use. There is nothing more frustrating to the data producers 
then seeing that after significant investment in data collection, the data resulting from these efforts are not being used for advocacy or to promote policy changes. Let me say, when we released the uh, UNICEF publication in 2021 called Seen, Counted, Included, this was the first time that UNICEF was able to publish extensive data analysis on children with disabilities and their access to education. So we look at various indicators, access, uh, learning outcomes, availability of supporting um, support for families to support education. Well, the results were complex. It's, um, it was very interesting to find out, for example, that when it comes to school attendance, it is not true that all children with disabilities are out of school. So a child with anxiety or depression is not necessarily less likely to be in school than a child without any type of disability. But when it comes to children who uh, are blind or children who have a lot of difficulties uh, memorizing, or even children who are, uh, for instance, using a wheelchair, for these cases, you can see that the out-of-school rates are significantly higher. So through this type of analysis, we were able to understand that this population of children with disabilities, it's, a, it's not an homogeneous population. It's a large population, it's a very diverse population, and what is also diverse is actually their well-being. So it's very important that we really take the time to absorb these findings, change our narratives, and design policy and programs that are really targeting the different lived experience of children with disabilities. That was Claudia Kappa. My thanks to her for joining me today. And thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Goal 4. If you did, why not share it around? You can also subscribe and listen to a new episode every Wednesday. I'll see you next week.